enjoy your hair, <laughs> chill out on the fast food, and minivans are not that bad. They really aren't. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Harvey Baptist Church. My name is Luke Gradless. I have the great honor of being one of the pastors here, along with Brother Joe. Uh, how are you all doing this week? Great. I'll be honest with you. This was a week. This was a week. It was, it was, you know, you know those weeks where you're just like, I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> I'm through it. It was a week. I'm so glad to be in this house, surrounded by you all doing what we're doing, which is glorifying our God and getting into the Word. Um, let me give you a couple announcements before we get into today's sermon. Um, one, uh, Fishers of Men, that's our men's group that meets on Saturdays. We are going to be meeting this upcoming Saturday at 9 a.m. We're not meeting here, though. We're meeting at La Familia Restaurant. Uh, we're going to have breakfast there. Um, and so you guys go ahead and show up there at 9 a.m. La Familia Restaurant next Saturday. All right. Second announcement, Brother Joe, of course, is out of the hospital as he's here. Yay. Um, I want you to listen to this. If you see Joe eating something unhealthy, and let me, if you don't know if it's healthy or not, if it looks like it tastes good, knock it out of his hands. All right? We got to take care of this guy and get him eating healthy. Okay? Decaf coffee. Yeah, so coffee, knock that out of his hands too. All right, just make sure nobody else is around him. All right, we don't want to burn anybody. All right? I bought Ava a Nerf gun so she can shoot him at home. If he's doing the wrong things. It only has two bullets, though. I should have got more. I should have got like one of those chain ones that could just, you know. But just, we love you, Joe. We're glad you're here. Everybody just watch him. If he's eating good stuff, just knock it out of his hands. All right? Three, after service today, we are going to celebrate Miss Bernice. Uh, we're going to celebrate the wonderful life she had. And we're going to celebrate the fact that, well, we are sad we're going to miss her. Uh, we are joyful that we know she is at home in heaven with her Lord and Savior. Uh, so after service, we'll, we'll take about 10 minutes, let people dismiss. And then we'll, we're going to jump into a remembrance service. Uh, Brother Joe will lead that. We'll have a few moments to let people come on up. And if they want to share any memories or stories, they can feel free to do that. But we hope we'll stay for that. If you can't, just continue to keep the family in prayers. We're honored today to have both of her children with us today. Um, and then after that fellowship or that remembrance service, we're going to have a little time of fellowship uh, and eat some food because we're Baptists. That's what we do. We eat. Uh, I was telling them, like, Bernice would slap us if we didn't have food. So if we have food, we're good to go. All right. Uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead. Let's open up. We're going to finish up chapter 4 of 1 Peter today, which means we only have two weeks left in this series, The Gift of Suffering. Um, it's funny, I have learned throughout this series that preaching on suffering is like preaching on patience. You don't want to do it because God just gives you more opportunities to go through it. So this week I had, I think I discovered uh, the eighth gate of hell, and it's called Greyhound Bus Lines Customer Service. <laughs> I'm not going to go into all the details of why I needed to buy a bus ticket. But I needed to buy a bus ticket for someone, and I made the mistake of like going through their mobile app, and I accidentally put my name instead of their name. And I mean, what was amazing is, is the process only took about like 60 seconds. It was so easy. I see the confirmation, I'm like, I put my name. Let me just call them, and I'll get this corrected. Six hours later, 
I realized it would be easier to have world peace or an act of Congress than to change the name on the bus ticket. <laughs> Apparently, it's literally impossible. My wife had one customer service representative tell her to just throw her $165 in the garbage and start over. I, I have, it, it's one of those things like you know you shouldn't be that frustrated about it because it's not that big of a deal, but in the moment you just don't believe it. Oh my goodness, so frustrated. Luckily, we got it all figured out, but wow. I was like, I think God's giving me this so I can use it as part of my sermon this Sunday on suffering. I think that's, I think that's the only reason this has happened is so I can talk about it in the suffering series, Greyhound Bus Line. So just if you do ride the bus, double check all the information before you purchase your ticket. All right? All right. So as we've been going through this series, there's been three verses we keep coming back to. We call them the keys to the series. And so again, as we go through a series, right, it's eight weeks. I know you don't remember everything I talk about, but I hope after the eight weeks you'll remember these three things. The first is found in 2 Timothy 3.12. And it says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The point of this verse, expect suffering. I said this every week. The majority of modern Americans stink at suffering because we have made the goal of our lives comfort, ease, and enjoyment. That's what we pursue for all things. Comfort, ease, and enjoyment. And so when a season of life shows up where comfort, ease, and enjoyment are not at our feet, we act like the whole world is over and we act like there is no way for anything good to come out of that. And that is because we have set our eyes on the wrong things. As Christians, God's word says, suffering will come your way. Sometimes it will be from the world you live in. Sometimes it will be from people persecuting you intentionally. Either way, as Christians, we are expectant that pain will come and we are prepared and ready for it. And for us, the difference is, is that we realize a couple things. Second, we realize we're equipped for suffering. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The point that Jesus makes to us is, suffering will come your way just like everybody. However, because you're my children, because my spirit lives in you, I have equipped you so that when that suffering comes your way, you do not stand there by yourself. You do not stand there alone. You stand there equipped with the abilities of God to defend yourself. And so the blessing that you and I have is not that suffering will never come our way, but when it does, what makes us successful in those moments isn't us. It's the ability and the power of God Almighty. And brothers and sisters, let me just give you like a side hint on this. Many of us where we fail in our journey with God is you go to God when you've hit the end of your rope. You try to adjust every day living in your power, in your wisdom, in your knowledge. And only when you come to the end of it do you go, God, I need you. It's not how it should work. You wake up in the morning and the word you start is at God's feet and go, God, I need you today. I'm not going to wait to get to the end of what I have. I already know what I have is not enough. So I start today with you. I need you all day, every day, every moment to get through this. 
So we expect suffering will come. We're not surprised when it happens. We know we are uniquely equipped for it. And third, we know that there is purpose in suffering. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. What's this mean? It means that you and I know that even in the times of suffering, God has a plan for victory and goodness. And often what you and I are going to find is where God uses us the most profound way is in times of suffering. Often where I have felt like God has been over me and using me have been in the darkest times. And so as Christians, if our goal really is to be a servant of God, our goal is to be His instrument that He uses to build His kingdom, to share His love, we may actually start to realize suffering is a gift. We may start to realize those dark times are actually when He's picking us up and using us in a way that is clear to everyone else that God is mighty, God is loving, and God is doing amazing things. And so that's the big mindset I want you guys to have. We're not trying to avoid suffering. We know it's going to come. We know we're equipped for it. And man, in it, we are going to find God's purpose. Those are the three things I hope we've taken away. If you have your Bibles, open up with me. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're wrapping up the last portion of chapter 4. I love the ending here in chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, because it's just real simple. It's just real simple. And to be honest, what we're going to talk about today, it kind of is bigger than suffering. Like, it's interesting, this whole book, this whole book has been written to Christian suffering, but the reality is, all the advice and guidance is just the regular advice and guidance of how a Christian's supposed to live. Peter's overall point to us is in times of suffering, nothing changes. Right? You're expected to be holy in good times. You're expected to be holy in tough times. You're expected to have good conduct and good relationships and good marriage and good uh, child rearing in good times, also in times of suffering. You're expected to be someone who's in the Word in good times and in suffering. His whole point is, guys, the circumstances do not change you. And that's why every week we talk about being what? People of power, people of love, and people of self-discipline. And that power, I'm not talking about you being able to go out there and lift weights. Now, looking around the room, that's not a problem for most of us, except maybe just enough there. <laughs> the rest of us, I'm not sure how often the weights are being thrown around. The power I'm talking about is the kind of power that you are a person that when the world comes at you, you dig your feet in and you go, good luck. Bring it. Throw what you will at me. Try to move me. Try to push me. Try to shape me. But because God stands at my back, I'm not moving. You can't make me what I'm not. You bring hate, I'll respond in love. You bring fear, I'll respond in courage. You bring evil, I'll respond with goodness. Why? Because that's what my God asked me to do. And so what we become is powerful people because we're not swayed by the circumstances of life. The reality with most people is they're unbelievably swayed by the circumstances of life. When things are good, when there's money in the bank, when they're healthy, when the job's going well, when they're not arguing with their spouse, they're great people to be around. But man, as those things start to fall off, watch out. 
they become somebody completely and utterly different. That is a weak person who is not a person of power. Power is you can put me in the valley of the shadow of death or you can put me in the green pastures and I am still the child of God. And so today as we look at this passage, there's one main point he's going to get at and this is the main point of everything you and I are trying to do in our lives. Let's look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange were happening to you. I told this to you before, right? Have the mentality of a boxer. A boxer is not surprised when they get punched in the face. That's what they do. Many of us, we don't act like that. When we get punched, we go, what happened? What, 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 what led to that? We act shocked. Peter's saying, guys, you're Christians. Suffering's going to come. When it comes, don't act like it's weird. Go, yeah, this is life. This is what happens. Do not be surprised at the fiery deal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. For it is written, for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And so really, there's one big point here. Suffering unites us with Christ. I want you to think about something for just a second. If I were to ask you, not at church, <laughs> I say that because at church we all know the Bible answers, right? That's some of the kids in youth this morning, like every Sunday when I ask somebody, what did I talk about last week, I get the same answer. God, Jesus, the Bible, right? The, th- the big three. Oh my gosh, shocking. We talked about God, Jesus, and the Bible. It's a fallback that we always have. But at the end of the day, what Christianity is, it's a relationship. And the whole point of it is not for you to become the best you. It's not for you to do self-help improvement. I really care little about you being the best version of yourself. What this is supposed to be is you coming face to face with the Almighty God and realizing that He is awesome. And once you have seen Him, once you've experienced Him, once you get who He is and the way He loves you, all you want is to be close to Him. That's it. The whole thing is a journey of you as a sinner trying to get as close to God as possible. Why? Because there's no joy like being in His presence. So when I run into people who are like, being a Christian is hard. I'm like, I don't think you get it. Being a Christian is hard is what you're trying to do is abide by every single rule in this book. Not only when I say it's hard, I'd say it's impossible. You can't do it by yourself. 
But the point of Christianity wasn't to behavior modify a group of people. It wasn't for us to, to, to act different than everybody else. It was for you and I to be so close to God that we are consumed by love for Him. And as a result of that, we act different. As a result of that, we behave differently. You and I are supposed to be consumed by this love. And what Peter's saying is, when that's your goal in life, you actually rejoice in suffering. Because what you realize is, my Jesus, He went through all kinds of suffering. My Jesus is the King of suffering. Isaiah describes Him as a man of sorrows. The whole book of Isaiah, like chapter 53, just goes through this amazing outlook of the Messiah, the one you guys are waiting for to save you. You guys have this vision that he's going to ride in as some king in unbelievable glory. And he will have glory, but guess what? He's going to suffer like no one else ever has. His body will be broken. He will be betrayed by those who love him. He will be ostracized and beaten and tortured and abandoned. He will go through suffering in a way no one else has ever suffered before. And so what Peter says here to us is, as his children, when we suffer, what we take joy in is, I don't like the suffering, but you know what it can do is it can bring me closer to Him. Like, have you ever gone through those moments in life where you go through the same thing a friend or a family member did and you find it brings you closer to them? Like, I'll be real, like, the reason I'm so close with my brothers is we went through everything together. And what really made us tight isn't the good times. What really has made us tight is the bad times. Because I can look at those two guys and know, hey, man, there ain't nothing you can throw it our way that's going to break the, the four of us up. My two brothers and my little sister, we'll ride. Nothing's breaking us. We've been through good times and bad. You can't break these bonds. And what Peter's saying here is similarly, that's the focus you and I have in suffering in our relationship with Christ. Amen. When I go through persecution, when I physically suffer, when I have people betray me, when I have people lie about me, when I have people hate me, you know what I go? I say, I'm in good company. Amen. My Father, my Lord, my Savior, He went through this too. Amen. And this pain that I feel, you know what I know? He knows exactly what this feels like. In fact, brothers and sisters, that's often one of the most beautiful things about Christ that you and I forget. You have a Savior that knows what it's like to be you. Amen. You have a Savior that looks at the pain you're going through and He understands it from real experience. Amen. You have a Savior that lost a parent. You have a Savior that's had friends betray Him. You have a Savior that has watched everything He's built get crushed. Amen. You have a Savior who's been right there with tears in His own eyes going, child, I understand what you're going through. Amen. And that's why it's so beautiful that you and I in any moment of life can fall on our knees and go, God, I need you. And He understands. And so Peter's point, folks, is that the reality of humanity is when we go through suffering, do you know what we actually normally become? Selfish. 
When you and I go through suffering, what we tend to do is turn the magnifying glass back on ourselves. And we throw a good old pity party. This isn't fair. This isn't right. I don't deserve this. This shouldn't have happened. This is because of their actions and because of what they've done. I'm a victim. I'm a martyr. It's all about you. And what Peter's saying is, guys, that's never the mentality of a Christian. Our lives are about loving God and loving people, which isn't about you. Amen. And so in times of suffering, when Satan's going to try to pull you back into yourself, don't do it. In those moments, remember that what you're going through, the point of it is to bring you closer to Him. Amen. And I'll be real with you. Some of you need to reevaluate your life because some of you have been angry at God for what you've gone through. Some of you have said, if God really loved me, if God's really powerful, if God's really awesome, if He really cared, He'd never have let these things happen. Here's what you miss. Your Father knows you way better than you. Your Father may know that you, with money, might be the worst version of you. Maybe the best thing God's ever done is make you broke. Because He knows broke you is less consumed with money, less materialistic, more generous, and more giving than you with money. He might know that you with physical ailments, you with hurt in your life, you in pain, actually brings you to His throne every day in prayer. Where if you didn't have those things, you might look up and go, I got this. God, I don't need you. You go help someone who needs you. I'm good. And he's sitting there going, child, you need me every day. Sometimes you and I need to realize the pain that had been brought into our life. Well, they, they themselves, those specific things aren't good. The Father may be using each and every one of them to bless you. And where I've seen this in my life is the older I get, the more I go through dark times that I hated in the moment. When I look back, I go, man, those times made me who I am. Amen. Had I not gone through those valleys, I don't think I'd be who I am right now. In fact, I can tell you just personally from my own life, well, while I am no king of sorrows, I have had an unbelievably blessed life. Most of the really great things I have were not my plan and have come from things that I thought were complete mistakes. But God knew better than me. Amen. Peter is calling you saying, children, when you go through suffering, you suffer for Him. Amen. You draw nearer to Him. And where all of us need to get real is, is that your focus in life? If I told you today, I could give you the greatest desire of your heart, would on that list, number one have been to be closer to God? Amen. Or would it have been something else? Would it have been money? Would it have been healing? Would it have been a nicer house, a better job, a faster car? a better relationship. If I, forget that you're a church and forget that a pastor is asking you, but if somebody just came to you in the week and said, I will give you your heart's desire, how far down on the list is an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? 
should be number one. It should be number one. And what Peter's trying to pull us back to is, guys, you make sure your focus is on the right thing. And I'll be real with you. I think this is a message that Christians need to hear as much as anybody else. Remember, this is being written to Christians. So many Christians have made Christianity about the rules, about behaving a certain way, about looking a certain way, about acting a certain way. And here's the problem with that. You can fake anything. You can take all these rules, live by them every single day of your life, and still not know Jesus. And in fact, always remember, the people that Jesus was at the most odds with was the religious elite. They knew every single rule in God's book. But you know why Jesus didn't get along with them? He goes, you guys wouldn't know God if He showed up in person. You know every word He's written. You know every law He's put out. But when He shows up in the flesh, you don't even recognize Him. You've totally missed the point. Lord, please don't let that be us. Please don't let that be us. We are people who are here to be in a loving relationship with God. That's it. Flipping your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. I want to close by giving you a great example of what this actually looks like. And I'm sorry, it's not chapter 16, it's chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Go to verse 54. Acts 7, verse 54. Acts is a book about the acts of the early church. Right? So that first group of disciples after Jesus dies, what are the things that those early Christians do to build the church? And in Acts chapter 7, what we run into is we run into a young man named Stephen. A young Christian who is giving the gospel. He's surrounded by a group of Pharisees and Sadducees, people that do not believe in Jesus. And man, he comes with one of the most beautiful, profound, in-your-face gospel messages that we have in the Bible. He basically tells the Jewish elite, you killed the Messiah. Your almighty God, who you have studied from Genesis all the way through, has been pointing the whole time to one person. He's been pointing to the Messiah that would come to die for your sins, save you, and restore you. And you fools killed him. He showed up, you tortured him, you hated him, you missed who he was, you murdered him, and you need to wake up. You need to wake up and realize that even though you've done that, he still loves you, He'll still forgive you. You can still serve Him. Beautiful message. You should read it because it's far more eloquent than what I just summed up. And in verse 54, we see the reaction. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at Him. They don't receive this with love. They hate it. They're infuriated. But being full of the Holy Spirit, look at this, he gazed intently into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, 
I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Saul, or Stephen, as he called out to the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. A couple of things I want to point out to you. One, why is he so bold? Why in the midst of enemies that he knows he's outnumbered in, that he knows have hate in their heart for him, does he not just shut his mouth? Why? Because his eyes are locked on Christ. He's not looking at the storm brewing around him. He is not concerned about the world that is bringing pressure his way. His eyes, his heart, and his mind are locked on Christ. And he sits there going, I will do whatever I have to do to get to him. And if the Spirit is calling me to say these things, I'm going to say them. And I don't care what the consequences are. I don't care what the reaction is. The only thing I care about is doing what He's calling me to do. And what I love about this is this is this summed up beauty of power and love together. He's yelling at these people, calling them sinners, encouraging them that they have murdered Christ, but... He doesn't do it with hate or anger in his heart at all. How do we know this? Because as they're murdering him, what does he say? Forgive him, God. Forgive him. And remember, that prayer, why does that sound so familiar to us? It's the same prayer Jesus had when he was on the cross. When Jesus was nailed to that cross, bleeding and dying, he looked at the men and put them there who were mocking him, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And here's Stephen, a sinner, not the Son of God, in the same moment going through the same pain, and who's he acting like? He's acting like Jesus. Looking at the same men murdering him, going, God, forgive them. They don't understand what is happening right now. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of death itself, he does not change. Why? Because his eyes are locked on Christ. Stephen did not look at that moment as the worst day of his life. In fact, I bet you, I bet you when one day we're in glory and we get to talk to Stephen, he will tell us that was the most beautiful day of his life. Because it was that day here on earth, he looked up and with his eyes, he saw God in heaven. But we read the story and go, oh my gosh, what a terrible day, he got killed. He goes, killed? That was the day my eyes saw Jesus at the throne of God. That was the day that God used me to be light in the midst of darkness, to proclaim love to people full of hate, and to do so in such a way that thousands of years later, people still talk about it. My worst moment? That was the moment He used me the best. This is what a Christian in suffering looks like. Driven not by themselves, not by their own needs, not by their own wants 
but God, please use me. God, please let me get close to you. God, please let me be in your presence. That's his hunger. And that's the hunger I want to see in ourselves. Not a people trying to be blessed. Not a people trying to be better than everybody else. But a people who, man, when you look at us, you go, they are running one way with everything they got to get to their Lord. They may not be the fastest. (laughs) They they may not be the prettiest. They might be dragging an air tank, John. (laughs) But they are moving as fast as they can with everything they've got to get to His feet. Let that be those people. Let that be us. Because that's what He's calling us to do. Dearly Father, as we come before You, Lord, we are so thankful for the love that You pour out on us. Father, that You look down on us knowing everything about us. Everything. Every thought, every deed, every motive of the heart. And even after seeing all that darkness, that You call us Your children, that You love us, that You forgive us. Oh, what a blessing. Father, I pray that this is a people who they have looked up to heaven and they have seen Your wonderful face. And they realize, Lord, that any day that they can call You, Lord, that is a good day. That, Father, if we know You, if we love You, if we're with You, there is literally nothing this world can do to us that can steal that joy. Father, I pray that we be a people of power. A people that look like You. That sound like You. And that cannot be changed by the circumstances around us. Father, we love You. We honor You. We worship You. And in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we're closing up, I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come to the front. Brother James will be in the back. As we're singing, if there's anything on your heart that you need to pray about, feel free to come forward and pray about it. Whether that's you're a Christian and you're on a journey and you need some help, we're here to pray with you. Or whether that's you looking in the mirror and realizing, you know what, I'm churched, but I don't really know Jesus. And I need to know. Whatever it is on your heart, you feel free to come forward. And as always, if you don't feel comfortable coming up now, you seek us out at any time. And we'll be glad to talk with you and to pray with you. Marie? Let's all stand. I lift my hands to believe.
again You are my refuge You are my strength As I pour out my heart These things I remember You are faithful God forever There's still time to come forward if God is calling you. Be still, there is a river that flows from Calvary's tree. A fountain for the thirsty, your grace that washes over me. my hands to believe again you are my refuge you are my strength as I pour out my heart these things I remember you are faithful God forever I lift my hands to believe again you are my refuge as I pour out my heart these things I remember you are faithful God forever let faith arise let faith arise open my eyes open my eyes As I pour out my heart, these things I remember. You are faithful, God, forever. And I lift my hands to believe again. You are my refuge, you are my strength. As I pour out my heart, these things I remember. You are faithful God, you're faithful God forever. Let faith arise, let faith people said? Amen. Amen. All right, so just a reminder, we're going to take a quick little intermission. If uh, you can't stay, we hope you have a blessed week. Remember two things, right? You've been given a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline, and you got a mission. That's to go make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. We'll take a few-minute break, and then we'll start the remembrance service to celebrate uh, Sister Bernice's life. I love you all. You guys have a great week if I don't get to see you. Thank you.